always, always had a message for this church, for this moment. Every year we give them a warm welcome, but let's top last year. Let's welcome Woody Woodson. Not yet. Now I am. Okay. Now that I'm on, you can be seated. If I was off, you'd have to stand. <laughs> if you think I get off, stand up. I'll know. <laughs> I'm going to have a good time tonight. Yeah, you got to understand something about me. You know, this is about as normal as I get. People's, people always say, you're weird. I said, are you normal? They said, yes. I said, thank you. <laughs> Uh, I always have a good time in God's presence, and His presence is fullness of joy. There is no sad Holy Ghost. I read the back of the book, We Win. Come on now. He always leads us in triumph. Always, always, always. Hallelujah. A couple of quick things. He mentioned the books back there. It's really interesting. Revival Roar. God literally woke my wife up last September and spent three hours visiting with her. And said, so I want you to write a book, and this is what I want in it. Now, she's written for a long time. Millions of people have read her writings because they've had names like Brother Copeland and Brother Robert. She wrote for Oral for several, well, 10, 12 years, whatever it was. And, uh, you, know, she's, you know, she's been a ghostwriter, but that's, it's between that and Righteousness Revealed, which is one is a timeless word, one is a timely word. Righteousness is a timeless word. If you don't understand righteousness, you can't operate in faith on a regular basis. Because the righteous man shall live by faith. Do you understand righteousness? You'll never live another condemned day in your life. Come on now. It keeps fear and oppression far from you. And honestly, it brings joy to you. Come on. And it definitely affects you with peace. So, and like I said, you know, just look back there. God spoke to me. Before I preach every time, he said, I want you to begin to speak and, and get the people saying, I see revival. I want you to say, I see revival. I see revival. You know, God began to deal with me because last time he spoke that to me was 1988. And I've been on this for a while, but in 1988, he spoke to me. He said, everywhere you go, I want you to begin to tell the people to say the wall will fall. And literally, six months later, the Berlin Wall came down. I didn't know what wall it was. I just knew God said to say the wall will fall. Just like I know God is saying, I see revival. Now, be honest, when I first started having people say that, I wasn't seeing much in the natural. But I've been to West Virginia. Many of you have read about the West Virginia revival where 2,000 young people have received Christ in a small community amazing things going on. I've been to churches now that are beginning to flow in a major revival flow. We're beginning to see a wake-up call in America. Come on now. There's a movement going on. There's a change. Now, God began to deal with me in this thing. He told me that this year will be a year of the turnaround. God wants to turn some stuff around this year. Come on now. He wants to turn your captivity. 
Psalm 126, verse 1. I'm going to be all over the place. I won't probably open my Bible. I'll just quote it. You can look at it. Come on now. I'm a New York Okie talk, New York speed Okie accent makes me a Yoki. But literally, God said in Psalm 126, verse 1, that, that when God turned the captivity of Zion. See, God wants to turn the captivity. He said, we're like those who dream again. Come on. What I found out is, is enslaved people don't dream. And right now, one of the biggest problems in America is the American dream. The dreaming spirit has been killed. Actually, it's just dormant. We're going to resurrect it. Come on now. We're going to resurrect it. Come on. Because God, God is the ultimate dreamer. And you're God's dream team. You're God's dream seed. But when God turns the captivity, we're like those who dream again. Then your mouth is filled with laughter. See, it's, it's really hard to be a happy person if you're not living the dream. And if you're not living God's dream for your life, you're living someone else's life. Come on now. You hear what I'm saying? You can't be happy trying to be someone else. It says, then, then your mouth will be filled with joyful shouting. And then it goes on to say, then they'll say among the heathen. You know, it's one thing when the heathen says you're lucky. And occasionally, even now, the heathen say you're blessed. But when the heathen says the Lord, that's what it says. Then the heathen will say the Lord has done great things for you. And the Lord has done great things for us, and we're glad. But, you know, it says we're going to go about weeping, you know, carrying precious seed. And be honest with you, you'll never get a harvest unless your heart is attached to your seed. You can't just go through motions. That's why God says God loves a cheerful giver. If your heart's not in, I know a lot of people, they're doing the right thing, but their heart's not in it anymore. Come on. Still going to do their religious duty, but it's no longer the passion of Christ. He says, you'll come back carrying the sheaves. And I begin to ask God, you know, I, I start every year off with the, the, it's the gathering of the prophets in, in Kentucky is the name of the meeting. And I was scheduled to preach the next day, but I, I came in to hear my friend the day before. I was taking a nap. I woke up from a nap and the Lord said, he said, well, you want to know what the greatest sin of the church is? I said, Lord, you know, I know whatsoever is not a faith is sin. So it has to do something with unbelief probably. He said, the greatest sin of the church is prayerlessness. He said, because I, I want to do so much that my people won't allow me to do. That I've already provided for it. I've already foreordained it, but because they don't believe it, it can't be manifested. Now, we, I'm going to talk about the power of prayer today. Because one of the things I, I begin to notice that I, I oversee it about 30 some odd churches now. Many of them I started. And one of the things I found out with my babies is January, they, January they're fabulous. They are so fabulous. I mean, it, and I, I, they have so much momentum going to the new year. Usually by this time, they're huffing and puffing. And I said, Lord, what, 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 why? And he said, they, he said, look, check it out. He said, they start off every year in prayer and fasting. And he said, because their prayer life goes to a new high, I begin to move. 
But when their prayer life goes back to normal, their life goes back. I'm going to preach something tonight. If you don't, you don't get this, you get nothing. I don't care how many slogans we use. I don't care what God is saying. You don't get this. You don't get anything. And you can bank on it. Your life is tied to your prayer life, period. I heard Brother Copeland say years ago at Old Roberts University, he made this statement. He said, every failure in life is a prayer failure. Every success in life is a prayer success. Whether you fail or success is always tied to your prayer life. Why? Because you've got to understand, we're not trying to get God to answer prayer. He's already done it all. You're not called to get God to do anything. He's already done it. You are called to believe what he's done. You're living off your inheritance, not your earnings. Inheritance is based on what someone's already provided. Understand when you confess Jesus as Lord, it's not when he became Lord, it's when he became your Lord. Come on now. When you ask God to forgive you, it was already paid for, but you had to still ask to receive what he already did for you. Just like when you're trying, trying to receive a healing, you're not trying to get God to heal you. He healed you 2,000 years ago. And if you don't understand that, you're always going to be trying to earn what God's already paid for. Let me give you a scripture, Isaiah 65, 24. Before you called, I answered. While you're speaking, I hear. So we're never again trying to get God to answer prayer. We're trying to get God to hear our prayer. That's why it says in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, you're, I'm going to get you flying. You're, some of you have to get the CD. I don't care. It's good for you. <laughs> but it says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And if he hears you, you know you got it. So it's not trying to get God to answer. It's trying to get God to hear. Understand that. Because if you ask in faith, he always hears you. Come on. We, we need to begin to understand a lot of things. You know, one of the things I live by is, is Philippians 4, 6. It says, don't worry about anything. God told me years ago, you can worry when I do. Come on, don't worry about any, anything, but by everything in prayer, everything by prayer, everything. What would happen if we prayed about everything? What would happen if we prayed before we went shopping? What would happen if we prayed? Well, I mean, I'm not talking about long time of prayer. I'm talking about popcorn prayers. I'm talking about constantly talking to God and allowing God to talk back to us. What would happen if we prayed about everything? We'd worry about nothing. Come on. See, I honestly believe God's trying to, to get us to pray like never before. In fact, when God, when Jesus talked about his house, in Matthew 21, 13, he never said my house would be a house of teaching. He didn't say it'd be a house of preaching. He didn't say it'd be a house of worship. He didn't even say it'd be a house of miracles. When Jesus defined his house, he said my house would be a house of prayer. Come on. My house. And see, what I found out is, you know, everything else flows out of the prayer life. How do you know what to preach? You prayed. Yeah. 
Come on. How do you do miracles? You pray. Come on. How do you do anything? You just pray. See, wherever you're stuck, there's the one thing God's constantly saying, call me. Well, I don't know what to do. Call me. Well, I don't have enough money. Call me. Well, well God, call me. And God's telephone number is Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I'll show you. See, God's high tech. Call me, and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. See, wherever you're stuck, it's because you're not seeing what you need to see to get unstuck. And the only way you can honestly activate revelation knowledge is through prayer. You have not because you ask not. It doesn't say you have not because it's not available. Come on. There's so much more God has for you. So much more. Come on, I want to get you hungry for the more. He's got so much more. He's more than enough. And honestly, when you call him, he shows you stuff. I, I, we have now six little rugrats under three in my family. Five girls, one boy, and the one boy is actually the Gerber baby. The new Gerber baby on all the packages is my, is my niece's little boy. That's pretty cool. And, you know, my, the newest one was born last week in our family. I'm going to go down to Florida in another week to see, see her. But I love calling my nieces. And I don't understand about, about technology because I try to keep up with the Amish. <laughs> when they get rid of their phone, I buy, I buy it. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> You know, my son's one of the great high-tech people in America, and I'm like, <laughs> tech zero or whatever. <laughs> Come on. But I, I've learned, you know, I have people do this thing for me, but when I'm at home and they call uh, my, on my iPad, I see these little faces. I don't know how it works. I don't care. All I know is when you call God, come on, you begin to see his face. You begin to see his face. You begin to see his face. Come on now. You, and, he be, and once you see his face, you know it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all God wants to reveal himself. Call me. Come on. You know, Bible says if anyone, James 1, if anyone lacks wisdom. Verse 5, let, he says, let him ask of God. He'll give liberally. Just don't, don't, it said, don't doubt in your heart. Don't be double-minded on it. Because someone that's double-minded, they don't receive anything. So I found out if you don't expect to hear from God, you won't. If you expect to hear from God, you will. See, whatever you expect, you attract. You expect blessings, you attract blessings. You expect curses, you attract curses. Come on. You need to understand that. So everything's tied to your expectancy. But, you know, I remember when I was working with Farmers Insurance Group years ago, I was teaching Victory Bible Student in the morning and at night. And, and, I, and during arson season, I, was, I worked as an as a arson investigator, which is really funny. I always bring fire one way or the other. Actually, I got first time I ever went to church, I got kicked out because of a fire. It's true. I was seven years old. They didn't need that education wing with what they were teaching. 
I, I didn't set the fire. I was with the guy who did. That's still my story to this day, and I'm sticking to it. Come on, that was seven. Leave me alone. But it may, it may be the perfect arson investigator. But, <laughs> but during arson season, which was right before Christmas and right before tax time, because they either burned down their house to get money for Christmas or they burned down their house to get rid of the records. <laughs> so I would work like 100 hours a week. And I remember sitting there and I, I was teaching in the morning. And I, not, my wife wasn't even seeing me. I mean, I was, I'm sitting there. This is not right. And I'm sitting at my desk and I said, Lord, what do I do? He, he said, just, God, I need some wisdom. And I remember if he asked wisdom, I said, God, I need wisdom. And I said, almost right after I prayed, he said, go to the bathroom. I said, oh, no. I said, Lord, is it that bad? You have to tell me when I, you know. He said, just go. To, there were 40 people in there. So I got up. I obeyed. I got, I got in there, you know, went in, locked the door, got on the throne. <laughs> he said, Go. As soon as I sat down, I had an open vision. I did. I saw this claims form. It was wonderful. And I'm thinking, what do I do now? I don't have any paper, but I did. I had a pen with me, so I, you know. So I'm writing all over the toilet paper on this thing I'm seeing. Well, you know, I, I get so excited about this, I come running out of the bathroom with all this toilet paper. And I run into my boss's office, and I throw the toilet paper on the desk, and I said, look at this! And I, he was almost afraid to. But then he looked, and he said, oh, my God, where would you get this? I said, the bathroom. He said, this is going to work. And you know, that one claims form saved 35% of the work time. One claims form of the third largest insurance company in the, in, the, in, the, in the country. One claims form. God's smart. He real smart. You know, call him. He knows. Some of you right now, you, you got to start calling. You should be calling right now. You know, don't be too loud about it. But, you know, underneath the hog, start calling Understand your inheritance is activated by your voice. Everything's on reserve waiting for your voice. It cannot be released without your voice. That's why you believe, therefore you speak. Because until your believer and speaker are attached, nothing happens. Come on. There are things we need to claim. There are things we need to pull down. The early church was birthed in prayer. Understand that. You know, if it had been the supper room instead of the upper room, it would have been packed out. <laughs> I mean, Jesus showed himself alive with many infallible signs. You imagine they saw him crucified. He was marred more than any other man. And he walks around for 40 days teaching the kingdom of God, inviting people to a prayer meeting. Say he spoke to over five, showed himself alive to over 500 people, and still only 120 showed up to the prayer meeting. Some things never change. 
But the early church prayed about everything. You know? And be honest with you, the kingdom of God, the kingdom cannot be manifest if we don't pray. That's why Jesus said, pray this way. Let me tell you, any time you see something that doesn't line up with heaven, it's time to pray. You see sickness, it's time to pray. You, you see, you see men, mental health issues, it's time to pray. You see, you, you see lack, it's time to pray. Anytime it doesn't line up with heaven, it's time to pray. Period. And it starts off with, who's your daddy? Our father. Our father. You got a good, good father. He's not withholding. You're not trying to convince him to do something. You're not trying. You know, I, how many, if you have kids, you understand everything you own is theirs. You know, everything. I could come home and my car's missing. I know my son's been home. You know, we have more than one, thank God, but, you know, it's gone. Why? And he never takes the bad car. <laughs> well, he knows everything. Everything. You know, if I look at my, and there's a tie missing. I know what's happened. And one of the reasons I stay fat is <laughs> so I can keep my suits. <laughs> you know, because yeah, he's so, my, my son turns sideways, you can't see him. So as long as I stay as a cathedral instead of a temple, I can keep my clothing. <laughs> Come on. But he knows. And be honest with you, we should have that same. He said, Every, God's saying, everything I have is yours. Everything I have, just ask. Ask. You know, and just make sure you don't ask stupid. So if you abide me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you will. Why? You're not going to ask stupid if you're in the word. Come on. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to waste it on your own lust. Does this make sense? See, see what I found out is the revival, the, the, the fervent prayer, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man will avail much. What happens when you, when you pray and it's your heart, it's just, you're praying with your heart out of your mouth. You move heaven to earth. That's why you say that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, let me show you again how this works. You know, several years ago, because I, I, I'm into revival. I love revival. I absolutely love. I mean, I, I went to a church right now. I went to a church in Kentucky. We're about ready to close it two years ago because it just it was dying. And when I got in town this time, pastor said, you got to see this. I got in town a day early. He said, you won't believe this. He said, we're going five days a week, but they, they're going seven days a week. He said, we don't even open the building seven days a week. He drives me by, and the parking lot is filled with people up there outside the church praising God and just worshiping. He says nonstop. Nonstop. That's what revival is, nonstop. And I remember, you know, several years ago when I, I started a prayer meeting in Booker T. Washington High School in Tulsa, and 
and you know they they laughed at me because I remember I walked in there and it, it's it's an all black all African American school and and I, I walked in and I said well I, God told me to start a prayer meeting there and they looked at me and they said you're white I said I didn't know that <laughs> I better tell my parents I have no idea. <laughs> And then they, they mentioned, they said, well, wait, they're not going to listen to any white. And they said, honky preacher. I thought they meant hunky because I was in shape back then. Now I'm a white, chunky preacher. But, you know. So, so I mean, we had good success. In fact, I got an all-American football player born again there, and the rest of the school seemed to go right around. Well, two months later, I get a phone call from the principal. And I'm hearing and you can hear the wailing. You can hear the crying. The principal's crying. I can hear, like, and there's three floors there. The principal calls up, and I thought someone got shot. He said, you got to come over here right away. I said, what happened? He said, I think Jesus just took over our school. Wow. What happened was this all-American, see, you don't have to be saved a long time for your prayers to work. He was saved for two months. He's walking down the hallway, and it rose up out of him. He began to, begin to, to, to begin to shout it, Jesus saved my school. Jesus saved my... And weeping broke out on three floors simultaneously. And they invited me in, and for three days, three days at a public high school... They, they, they basically had one huge assembly to describe what God was doing. That's revival. That's pretty much what happened in West Virginia. One boy got healed. He just said, I got to tell somebody. Next thing you know, he began to share his testimony in the hallway. People came out all over the place, and the hallway filled up, and the next thing you know, they're in the stadium. I believe we're coming to that day, church. But I believe as soon as Zion travails, she'll give birth. And I believe if we don't humble ourselves and pray, this nation's doomed. Period. It's time, it's time. We, we can't, this message cannot be applied in like several months from now. It can be, but honestly, a lot of damage will have been done. Think, God, God wants to turn your sickness into health. He wants to turn your lack into wealth. And most of all, he wants to turn this nation back to him. And be honest with whoever gets elected, it doesn't make a difference if we don't have revival. Does not. Amen. I always tell people, say, well, if you don't know how to vote, read your Bible. If you still don't know how to re vote, read your Bible again. Won't hurt you. <laughs> Come on. The bottom line, it doesn't make a difference because the natural is not going to, without God in this place, we're done. Only God can change hearts. Only God can bring unity. We're at the place we were in 1968, late 60s, when there was so much racial unrest and rioting going on. There was the war, Vietnam War. We're at the same place as a nation we were then. And the only thing that saved this na nation back then was the Jesus movement. It's the only thing that saved, and we need another Jesus movement. Come on now.
You know, it's not too hard for God. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, God's going to hear from heaven to heal the land. Doesn't say anything about anything about the wicked people. Say, if my people. Come on. We're going to help you whether you like it or not. Andrew Murray said, God rules the world and the church through the prayers of his people, that God should have made the expansion of his kingdom to such an extent depend on the faithfulness of his people in prayer is a stupendous mystery, but an absolute certainty. See, what I've learned is God just waiting for someone to stand in the gap. Not to find, not, not to point out the gaps. It's easy for everyone to say, talk about the problems. Let's be the answer. He's looking for something. He says, God, I don't want to do what I'm going to have to do if, I, if you don't stand in the gap. I remember several years ago, a few years ago, and you understand something. I'm preaching on something that was the weakest part of my life for most of my life. I could, I could be in the Word for eight hours, no problem. When Jesus said, could you not tarry one hour? I laughed and said, no. Five minutes tongues, five minutes English, let's get back in the Word. It just wasn't in I mean, I, I could do it out of discipline, but I, I'd fall asleep and wake up, fall asleep. So I began to pray about my prayer life. I said, God, I know you want me to be a man of prayer, but I'm not. And I don't want it to be a discipline. I want, be, I want it to be something you're working in me. There's a difference. I don't want it to be something lifeless. I want it to be your life on the inside of me. I, I, I got to tap into your, your, your grace in this area. I need all the help I can get. And I, you know, and I remember, you know, several years ago, a couple, you know, a few years ago, the Lord came to me and he said, Woody, you're my friend. And I said, yeah, I know I'm your friend. I can sing that song. I'm a friend of God. He said, no, you're really my friend. Then he said something that bothered me. He said, you weren't always my friend. He said, even when you were in ministry, you weren't always my friend. So. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, who did I call friends of God in the Old Testament? I said, well, Abraham was a friend of God. He said, well, why was Abraham my friend? I said, well, because you, he was going to teach his kids after him. He said, is that the only thing? He said, he was my friend because I, was, I shared with him what I was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. I didn't want to do it. I shared with him because I needed the righteous man on earth to withhold wrath. And he was my friend because he said if there's 50 righteous, 40 righteous, 30 righteous, 20 righteous, 10 righteous, he didn't go far enough but honestly proved to be his friend because he's withholding wrath. He said, who else was my friend? I said, well, Moses, you used to speak to Moses face to face. The man speaks to his friend. He said, in Exodus 33, he said, do you remember when I was upset with my people? And I wanted to destroy them. And start over with just Moses. You can read in the scripture. And Moses got in my face and said, Lord, if you destroy them, you've got to destroy me. He said, that's my friend. 
I'm going to be honest with you. The number one calling of the church is to buy more time for sinners. It's to withhold wrath. That's the number one calling. Why? Because as soon as the church leaves the earth, the wrath of God's going to fall. We are the ones that are withholding wrath. How many of you here know you should be dead today except for someone prayed? Come on. You know, it's really hard to die when you have a praying mama or a praying grandma or a praying friend. I remember listen, you know, hearing Derek Prince say that when his first wife was on the deathbed, called her back three times. She died on the hospital bed. She, well, she, he kept calling her back. And finally, she sat up in bed and put her bony finger in Derek Prince's face and said, Derek, I want to go home. And if you know what's good for you, you'll let me go. Take her, Jesus. <laughs> he was gone. <laughs> but, you know, the bottom line, it's really hard to die. when You, you know, many of you have had more lives than cats. Come on now. Thank God. But why, if someone prayed for you, why don't you pray for others? Stand, what would happen if we all began to pray? I, God, God would happen. Come on now. See, without prayer, we function with no fuel. We're powerless to move the church forward. Prayer releases the power of God so the church can prevail in every situation. Prayer is communing with God. Prayer is asking for the impossible. Prayer is standing in the gap and building the hedge. Prayer accesses heaven to earth. It accesses unlimited resources. I, I begin to realize even in the Lord's Prayer, did you ever notice that the, prayer, the Lord's Prayer is a command? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Yeah, it wasn't, Lord, please come. It was almost commanding God. You know what God says? You can get to the place in me. He said, I love it when you command the work of my hands. I love it. Because once you realize it's my will, I've been waiting for someone to command me. Come on, make a demand. See, when you're submitted to God, he loves it when you, when you, when you tell him what he already said. He loves it. He's waiting for someone on earth to claim what he already sent from heaven. Come on now. See, praying saints, E.M. Bounds says, are God's agents for carrying his saving and providential works on earth. If his agents fail him neglecting to pray, then his work fails. Period. Praying agents of the Most High are always forerunners of spiritual prosperity. And when I talk about prayer, I'm not talking about having faith in prayer. I'm talking about praying in faith. Religious people have faith in prayer. But they don't expect anything. The Bible says, when you pray, believe you receive. When you pray. When you pray, believe you receive it and you shall have it. When you pray, come on. See, I, you know, it's a transaction going on. I believe we're going to begin to see things begin to move as we begin to pray more. And I believe God wants to put a mantle of prayer on every one of you today. I believe he wants to make your house a house of prayer and this house a house of prayer. Come on. I, I believe as we begin to pray, things are going to begin to happen. I remember years ago, I, I was preaching in, in, in a little town. And, and this, you know, there were about 300 people there that night. And I gave an altar call. and I, I prayed for this little girl. 
There were about 100 people came forward, but I remember praying for her. And when I began to pray for her, she went up afterwards to, to kneel at the altar, and she began to intercede so hard. I thought she was going to hurt herself. It was so gut-wrenching, and she's like 9, 10 years old. It was so, so much so that everyone else on the altar, they all pulled back and sat down. It went on for three hours. In fact, the pastor came over to me and said, you think she, do you think that's God? Is she going to hurt herself? So I took a couple of steps towards her, and the Lord said, sit down, it's me. I said, it's him. And it was, so, it was such a sacred moment. You, you know, you could hear a pin drop. No one left. Do you understand something? The ser- service was already an hour and a half into it. It was almost five hours before she got out of that thing. And right before she got out of it, I, I began laughing uncontrollably. I didn't mean to. I just couldn't stop laughing. And all of a sudden, the whole church broke out laughing, and she's still groaning. I said, Lord, what's going on? He said, you're in the birthing room. You're seeing the head come out. You're seeing the manifestation. She's still doing the pushing. I believe every church should be a birthing station. All of a sudden, she began to laugh uncontrollably. And then at the very end, she comes out and she said, do you mind if I say anything? I said, you did all the work, honey. And she explained all the different spirits that were over that community. Named them. So this is the, this is the demon that has been controlling this area that's caused the divorce rate to be 70%. So this is what's caused the alcohol. I mean, she's nine years old. She said, when I began to pray, see, I got caught up in the heavenly. So when I began to pray, I saw angels, warrior angels come as I was praying. And he said, honestly, she said, every time I, I would pray intensely, they, they would begin to drive back to darkness. And when I, when I would slack off a little bit, it seemed like we were losing ground. So I just had to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And he said, she said, the air is clear now. And I, I knew something had happened, but the proof of the pudding's in Eden. For the next 10 years, all the churches within about a 100-mile radius that preached the gospel grew at an unusual rate. The divorce rate went from 70% to 25%. Most of the bars closed. One girl's prayer. One girl, one, one, don't tell me it can't be done. And don't tell me you have to be some, some super spiritual giant. You don't. Come on. So God's just waiting. We're waiting on God. God's waiting on us. So you put on the full armor of God to pray. If you understand Ephesians 6, the whole reason for the full armor of God is to pray every type of prayer. If you're not going to pray, don't put the armor on because it's a waste. The whole concept of that is you, now you're ready to do battle. And the way you do battle is in prayer, praying every type of prayer. I begin to realize some of the things. We're going to pray for you guys in a second. This is okay tonight. better be. But I begin to, I love Romans 8, 28. You quoted it today, that God works all things together for good. Those who love him called according to his purpose. Everything works for me, not against me. That's one of the things I always say. 
But God said, well, look at it in context. When you don't know how to praise, you ought. Romans 8, 26. God gives you groanings. He gives you another prayer language. He gives you, he gives you uh, the ability to pray in the Spirit. And literally what it says in the Greek that God takes hold of together with you against. God takes hold of together with you against. So when you pray in the Spirit, there's something in your life that has to be turned. There's something in your life that has to be moved. So you can't just move it in English because if you could, you would have. Come on now. But you tap into the Holy Spirit, ask for his help. And when you pr- as you pray in the Spirit, God says, I take hold of this together with you. If you don't pray, I can't change it. I can't work it for good if you don't pray. Come on. But if you'll pray, I'll work all things, all things, all things, all things, all good things, all bad things. Everything will begin to work for you. Come on, somebody. It's good preaching. Thank you very much. See, literally all throughout Scripture.